Hello and welcome to the Mullet Over Podcast. You thought about that one before. No. You were a little prepared. I, I said, yeah, that, that was not just reacting like we're starting a podcast <laughs> and we start making sounds. No, you thought a little bit about that one. No, no, really, but... I think everyone can agree it's getting better. And that this is a segment that they don't want to lose is Richard Beebock. There's no way I can imagine myself doing that long. One day, one of your grandkids or great-grandkids will put it all together and make it sound incredible and produce a SoundCloud album about Richard Mulder singing and beatboxing. Your brother's a good beatboxer. Yes, he is. When yeah. he comes back on. Yeah, we'll have to do We'll have, have him, him beatbox. You know, and then I'll just clip it, and that will be our intro from now on. Tall, skinny, white boy beatboxing is just different. Most people he, have never seen Do you remember what he like picked that. as his rapper name? When no. he was doing spoken word rapper. Spoken word. He was doing back, spoken word, so he picked a rapper name. He had a Facebook group for it. Really? Facebook page. I did not know that. Wonder Bread. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> That's hilarious. No. And, uh, he had something like white and crusty or something like that was the catchphrase. It was, oh my goodness, he was homeschooled and <laughs> you gotta give him grace. But no, it was his spoken words were incredible. Oh my goodness, we yeah, could, we could like they were the best I've ever heard from anyone. Like, yeah. sp- like spiritually, oh, lyrically, yeah. everything. I just they were good. They were awesome. So yeah, so we have a podcast today that is yes. going to work in the name of Jesus because. Yeah. Uh, we're not going to have any problems. And today we are bringing on the wonderful Brooke Weaver, who I really haven't actually met and talked to you a whole lot. I don't really know you. Uh, my dad knows you a lot better than I do, but I really don't know you as well. So yeah. if you describe yourself in 30 seconds or less, how would you describe yourself? I would have to say that, uh, to put it in a nutshell, I am a bookworm. I, um, I'm also a prankster. Um, oh. <laughs> yes, <laughs> very much so. I'm, I, I go in between introvert and extrovert very easily. Um, I'm, I'm dedicated and loyal, but I'm fun loving and carefree. So that it's a good, I feel like I have a good mix of being studious and at the same time I can transfer into being carefree at the same time. So. Okay. That is cool. So I, the only question that comes to mind is what is the best prank you've ever pulled? I got, I got to know. Oh gosh. There's, there's just so many. I think one of the ones that I did recently, actually yesterday is I, I looked up thigh tattoos um, oh and I, I picked out a huge like flower oh. tattoo that would go down the side all the way down the thigh. And I showed it knowing I'm not going to get a thigh tattoo. And I, Showed it to my husband. I said, "Look what I'm going to go get tomorrow." And what? girl, you bet. I said, "What? Why? Why are you hating on me?" <laughs> and had him totally convinced that I was going to go do this thing. And he's just shaking his head at me. <laughs> but I record. I record it when I do it, so I can get his reaction. You know what I mean? Because it's just so. Yeah, he's so yeah. I did that. That was yesterday. So. Oh, that's so funny. Okay. Yeah. Came home and his wife had one on her um, thigh, upper yeah. thigh, we'll say, yeah. uh, and it, but it was a fake one. Oh, and uh, <laughs> yeah, out with that, so. And he's super conservative, so he, he was just, he was, yeah. he was just mortified. He was like, I'm like, but nobody's going to see it though. Why do you need it? It was funny. Oh, <laughs> my yeah. uh, all right, so you're a bookworm. Have you read my dad's books? Uh, quite a few of them, yes. Okay. Give you us, are my hero. Give us your honest 
honest opinion on each of them. Give them a grade. Be be a, be a little book critic right now. Um, I would say Finding Joy was informative without giving out too much information. Sometimes people can read, you can read stuff and you're like, okay, you should have stopped three chapters before that. You know what I mean? Uh, So that book in particular was just enough, but not overwhelming, you know, um, for the average, it, it could be for the average reader, but for a person who's lost, it could be deep. And for a person who's been found, it could be liberating. But What's for that? Per- if you would describe that book for people who haven't who haven't heard about it, Finding Joy is a book that has true stories of people who have, in some type of way, been trafficked. Whether it been trafficked, human trafficking, whether it was their soul was trafficked, whether it was ongoing or something that happened in the past and they've been rescued. Um, so it's it's basically stories, real life stories of people or women who have um, been trafficked in one way or the other is what it's about lived some of that world that's one right. of the reasons why we have you on you've lived that world you've lived that experience yes um, seen it firsthand a decent portion of your life yes so um yeah and that's... the sad the sad the i think one of the saddest parts about my story that i find the most heartbreaking when i think about it is that i was a part of not only was i trafficked i wouldn't I wasn't sexually trafficked like a lot of people are, but I was um, intellectually trafficked. My soul was trafficked. But I also, the saddest part for me dealing with is that I was a part of human trafficking, trafficking of women and men without being aware of it. And I mean, I mean, I and I do mean sexually or like their person being taken from one place to another place or um, or even using people um, in the organized crime world to do things that needed to be done. And when I look back and I think about it, that I was actually a part of that process of doing that to people. It was being done to me. I was, I had a handler, but then I was a handler. And that's, I think one of the saddest parts of my story for me to have had to have accept was ignorantly with blind eyes that I was actually a part of that, both, both sides. And that's, that's hard. That's hard for me. If someone had suggested that to you, that you were a part of that back then, how would that have landed? Oh, I would have been in complete denial. I would have been in complete denial that I, I had a hand in human beings physically being trafficked. I wouldn't have been able to accept that. I, I couldn't see it. Um, I didn't actually become aware of it till it's really what brought me to, when I became aware that I was a part of that world in that way, um, that's what brought me back to the Lord. Yeah. Tell that part. Cause that it's interesting. I, I like when you're, writing a book start with part of the story that's going to grab people's attention now a lot of your story is going to grab people's attention but man, so, you, uh, i can you, start there you, you just you just said it you came to christ yes. because you realized that you were a part of trafficking human trafficking tell yes. me about it. so it was in 2015 um it was july 4th out it's a day i'll never forget and I'm at a safe house in um, an area around the corner from here in Alabama. And I'm saying Alabama for a reason. Um, and I get a phone call that, that 
the, this group of people that I have a long-term, long-term relationship with um, has somebody that they need me to talk to. And I said, okay, well, I, I get down to the house and there's a girl and she's got a wig on. She, she's dressed actually like a gypsy. Um, if you know what a gypsy, how a gypsy dresses or whatever. But I noticed she's got a wig on. She's really, really young. And um, I, I asked the boy that brought her to that house. I said, where'd you get her from? And he talked about somebody that I knew. He said, I got her from the camper trailer up the road. And um, she's scared. And she told me that she was scared. But that's all she's told me. So I told her, I got her out. And we came down. Here was actually the boy's mother, uh, his uh, half-brother's dad's house that they were at. And he was like, okay. So he was comfortable there. But he was like, okay, well, I'll take you down to my real dad's house. And so um, they skipped to the loo. Like, they were going to go just down there to visit or whatever. And he brought her to me. And so I, I got, got to talking to her. And I... I was very hard to get her to open up, but what happened was she was taken from this area in Mobile, Alabama, and um, had escaped. Um, this particular girl had escaped from El Paso and made it back somehow to Mobile, Alabama, and um, I was I was shocked. And so when she started talking, she started saying names of people that I knew. And I, I, I was hearing her, but it wasn't like, it wasn't clicking in my head. So I told her, I said, well, let's get on Facebook. And I said, and show me some of the people that you're talking about. So we got on there. I knew every single person from the time that she was took to a house that she got brought to in, in Mobile, in different places in Mobile, to a house in Mississippi where she was gang raped, to Louisiana, and then to El Paso where she had escaped and made her way back somehow. And I got her real name out of her, um, found out she was 14 years old, uh, called the police. Um, but the police that we called were our police um, force. Meaning? And meaning organized crime. Meaning yep. there's police and there's people that are, you know. You knew who to call? When I, when I, yes, I knew the right people. Well, I mean, my con my contacts in that world. Come to find out, they showed us a picture where her parents had put out a missing persons report of her through the FBI database, and they came and picked her up and took her home. Then it was a week later, I got another phone call, same guy, same boy, and at this time he was a boy, he was a seven, he was 17 years old, and um, uh, brought another girl. Looked the same almost, almost the same dress up. She had a wig on, all of this different stuff. She had been taken from Mobile. She had identified groups of people, different people. Some of them were the same. Places she got took to in Mobile, they were different places. Um, she had been taken to Louisiana. They were trying to put her on a port in Louisiana. She got away, made her way back, ended up at that camper again. Um, and the camper trailer, the person that I'm talking about was somebody I'd known for forever. Been there, ate with them. Uh, you know, I didn't have a clue, you know, I, I didn't understand that anyways. And, um, then she identified more places that she had been taken to in mobile, uh, businesses, lucrative businesses attached to lucrative people in mobile and, um, that she had made it back. Come to find out she was 19 years old and I got up out of the house that day. I remember it was so hot. It was the week after July 4th. It was scorching hot outside, and I was so angry. 
And I walked out, and the whole neighborhood, because this neighborhood is one of those neighborhoods where the police don't come, so a bunch of stuff happens on this road. And there's a bunch of people there um, because when I came on the scene, a bunch of people showed up. Wherever I would go, I would have a, you know, I'd have groups of people, but they would hear very quickly that I was around and the stuff that I did, you know, a lot of them loved me, a lot of them were scared of me, and a lot of them just wanted what I had. And because uh, I was, uh, I ran guns and different things like that. And so there was a bunch of people there, and I walked outside, and I, I was so mad at God, and I said, why? I, I put my hand up to this guy, and I said, why did you let me see this? And immediately, <laughs> the Holy Spirit, I, I feel the presence of God right now. The Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, I will not be mocked. Whatever you sow, you shall reap. And I hit my knees in the middle of the, the road, and I said, not my daughter not my daughter. I will not go look for Avery in the slums of Louisiana or in Puerto Rico or in Mexico or wherever, and everybody better watch out. And I'm fixing it. So here, here you are. You are, because uh, we, had, we hadn't introduced any of this kind of stuff, but you were trained. You, you, you talked about a handler. You were yes. tied in with the occult, and there were people yes. that were programming you Yes. And you were learning about programming others. So you were both being handled and you were handling others. You're running guns. You're part of organized crime, part of the cult world. But you know God. A lot of people. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but, but we find this pretty often. We're dealing with people coming out of satanic world. And, and they talk to God. And, and it's a, like they used God in programming you. And they exactly. use your desire for God in programming you. That's exactly and, right. Uh, backfiring on the enemy, but it, um, it it was strategic in in creating who Brooke was at that time. That's exactly right. They couldn't come at me from a satanic point of view. They couldn't say out loud to me. Um, I remember like I, I had told you about this one time I was sitting at a house um, and I was visiting with these people and his wife, this, this man's wife goes in the other room and says, I have something I want you to do for me. And I said, okay, this was, I think like 2010, something like that. And she comes out and she brings a stack of tarot cards out and she pushed them towards me. I want you to do me a reading. And I was, I told her, I looked at her, I said, mm-mm. <laughs> I said, no, ma'am. I said, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's my Lord and Savior, and I don't play with that wow. kind of stuff. In the middle of being a part of a satanic cult, and she just kind of looked at me, but I didn't realize that she saw my pro she saw my prophetic my prophetic gifting. It was obvious to everybody around me except for me, you know. And so it's I, I was strong, like Jesus is my Lord and Savior. So they couldn't come at me that way. But if, if anybody knows anything about any kind of cult whatsoever, it doesn't matter if it's a Luciferian, it doesn't matter if it's the satanic, it doesn't matter if it's white witchcraft, black witchcraft. I don't care. Well, I don't care if it's Buddhism. I don't, I don't care what it, what it is. It's all based on the Bible. Period. It's all, if you look, if you look into any of it, uh, it's just going in the back gate. You know, it says that the shepherd goes through the front gate, but the thief comes in the back gate. Well, 
the Lord showed me that's the door. The shepherd leads you through the spirit realm, through the front gate of the sheepfold, and the thief comes in through the back. There's a back way into the spirit realm, but you have to use biblical truth, spiritual truths, to be able to get into to, to tap into the spirit world. But you can do that the back way. And so everything, their their basis, Masons, all of that is their basis is the Bible. That's where they get it from. And so um, they would feed me biblical truth, but of course it was a perverted version of that. And there's so many of the books of knowledge and, and, you know, the encyclopedia of the books of knowledge. I don't know how aware you guys are of those or just any of the things, you know, they're all based on the Bible. And so they could pick out the little things um, and it would make sense to me. And I became a, you know, a vigilante of sorts first, you know, and that, that's how they got me. Really. So what encyclopedia that you were talking about? The books of knowledge. Um, I'm not, I don't really quite remember. It's called the books of knowledge, mm. but it, it looks like a, you know, when you have a full set of them, um, I don't remember how many is it volumes are in the set, but it's, it's like, you know, they look like yearbooks, like thick yearbooks and, you know, their books of knowledge. You were, you were pretty high up in the occult world. Yes. Yes. But you I still, was, you were a Christian. Yes. And, um, and, and all, you know, from a lot of your journey, there were, there were parts of you that knew Jesus and were sincere. And oh, ab absolutely. I can even remember the people making fun of me because I would pray out loud to God every day, to Jesus every day, every day. I would talk to him all the time and they're like, and I didn't understand. I'm like, and I would tell them, look, I got to do this because I've got a call on my life. And the only way that I'm going to make it there is if I do this. So you can do what you got to do, but I got to call out to the Lord to save me. And you were in church on a regular basis. Um, off and on. Yeah, I was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But what were you involved in that typically wouldn't be considered very Christian? <laughs> <laughs> um, so what couldn't there be like, you know, um, a lot of the time, I think there's a, there's a, which you and I have spoke about, there's a disillusion, there, there's this illusion that these people are, are living little, little shacks or, you know, you would be able to identify them, but I lived in a brick home at, you know, I've, I've worked at lucrative hospitals here in Mobile and Birmingham. Um, uh, we had businesses. Um, my ex-husband had lucrative businesses, things like that. So, you wouldn't be able to identify um, what groups were by, what you were involved in a lot of different groups, right? Yes. Yes. What, what were some of those groups? Uh, Freemasons. Um, I was grandfathered in. I had been um, asked to and, and prospected to be an Eastern star. But in the process of doing that, I actually got grandfathered into the Masons on the, the, the uh, patriarchal yeah. side. Yes. And then um, the Aryan Brotherhood, I was uh, also, um, I wouldn't say grandfathered into that. The, the female version of the Aryan Brotherhood is what you call a featherwood. But on this side, I was actually patched into the male side of it and was a part of a, a group in there called the Brand, which is this, uh, we have no identifiers. There's no markings on us um just kind of like a little special forces of that 
Uh, I was also involved in the Bandidos, the Latin Kings. Um, let's see. Oh gosh, there's just so many. I, I don't, I don't know. Um, I, I had a foot in the door with the, um, African American chapter of the Black Panthers. Um, I'm sorry, the Freemasons, um, gangster. There's so many in Mobile and I had my KKK. Yes. Yes. Well, the KKK is just a, a, a runoff of everything else. Kings of Templar. Um, they're all here. All of them are here in Mobile, you know? Um, so if you, if you were born into it, the family, if born into the KKK down here, you're automatically, you know, um, going to be in something else, Aryan Brotherhood, Banditos, something, because it's a, it's a family heritage thing down here. So. Now you brought somebody up to us. This blew my mind and, and, and I'm going to ask you to explain it. Okay. And her, her, um, father was high up in the KKK and, um, but she and was. Southern. KKK and Southern Brotherhood. Mm -hmm. uh, well, okay, so you'll clarify that in a second, maybe. But um, okay. the, the but she was trafficked by her own father. Yes. You know, the African people here in yes. America, not African Americans. They were African people, and that blew my mind when 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 that came out. I was like, okay, wait, back up. What you just said does can't compute. Like tilt tilt, like on a pinball machine. You know, that was what was going on. I was like, what did you just say? Well, I can explain. I can explain that to you if you would like me to. Yeah, that's um, what I. Was... When you're dealing with ignorance, which is what they try to keep people in in the South, okay. When it comes down to it, it's really about the almighty dollar. But as long as they can keep people involved in racism or the old mindset of the South, then they can keep they can extort people for money, and that's really what it comes down to. Ignorance is is a way of extortion, uh, and I know that sounds odd, but that's the truth. But also what you got to realize is there's a hierarchy of people in the world and um, her family lineage and line um, at some point were owned by plantation owners that were African-American. And that didn't stop just because the civil rights movement came. Okay. So here in Mobile, you have... Um, old money, African American, old money, and you have old money, other old money. Okay. And, and so as, as they grew up together, um, you still have plantation owners in Mobile that are African American that had white families that were serving them wow. and vice and vice versa. Still, still to this day. So, um, her family served these people and still do today. Wow. So it was it an obligation is a good word for it because they're still owned. Wow. They still have um, even legally legal rights, wow. meaning that meaning that um, how can I put this? Um, that I mean that that basically sums it up. They're still owned by the, these families, and it and it goes and it goes both ways. So, tell us your story from like where, where it began for you and what you went through that got you to this point. Um, I, uh, narrow it down a little bit, Richard. How about this? 
if, if you're some there are people listening to this right now who are like i have i am completely lost and i am i have no I have grid for any of this you guys are using words and terminology and i'm you know i need okay. some kind of you know let's tie it all together like who are you where are you from what does all this kind of mean take okay. your time yeah. So I'm Brooke Weaver. I'm originally from California. I moved to the South um, over 20 years ago, ended up in Mobile, Alabama, married uh, my ex-husband. I married into a Masonic family. Um, and that's how I got into, because that's all Mason is. Masons are, is just uh, organized crime. That's all it is. Uh, and a satanic cult. And got involved with that world through that marriage. So uh, it blows a lot of people away because there's a lot of people that their dads or grandfathers were Masons. They think of them as godly men. And there are people that are Masons that think that they were, are, or were a part of a really Christian organization. But you were from the inside and you're, yes. at the time, did you think it was a godly Christian organization? I think like most people that are involved in it, first of all, they either don't understand or don't know, or they were brought up in it to believe that it is a good thing. So yeah. if, if like, for instance, if you have somebody who uh, is uh, a Buddhist and for 400 years or 500 years, everybody in their family was a Buddhist. Well, when you get brought up, as a Buddhist, I mean, that's just your family. That's your religion. You know, you'll fight for it. You'll die for it. I, you know, it can't. It's the same thing when it comes to Masons or it comes to these other worlds. People think that, the oh, it's just in the streets. It's a street thing. It's a street gang. But honestly, the Aryan Brotherhood, the KKK, the Knights of Templar, the Masons, all of these things are from a long time ago, and they're they're passed down from generation to generation into generation. And they are taught just like we are as believers that this is right, you know, and we'll fight for Jesus. We'll die for Jesus. We'll, you know, and it's the same thing in that way for their, them too, you know? And so, yeah, of course they believe that what they're doing and what they believe and how they live is right. Yeah. You know, Papa did it. <laughs> Grandpappy did it, you know? So it's, yeah, they, and, and a lot of the time you're kept ignorant, you're kept ignorant to what's going on anyway. So you married into that family, sir, you, you said you married into that family. Mm -hmm. Masonic and, family. Yeah. And then what happened? Well, if we can go tip, tip back to Andrew real quick. Um, yeah. what other things do I need to clarify? Cause you said, oh, I was no. You don't need, it's not like a clarifying, like continue this question, who you are, where you came from, kind of okay. like you got into yeah. all this. That's, okay. that's what I'm answering. Right. right. So I um, married him and was very ignorant um, to, I did not consciously, was not consciously aware that I had married into a, a Freemason family. I wasn't, I wasn't like, here, here's your contract. This is what you're marrying into. I did not know. They went to a Catholic church, um, so I thought they were Catholics. So there, to me, there was at least a, a, a similarity to we believe Jesus is the Son of God, right? Um, and at that time, I wasn't, I would say, I wasn't away from God at the time, but I wasn't serving him like I am now. I wasn't serving Christ. 
So to me, that he was a Catholic was enough, and I would go to church with him and things like that. And so that's basically um, how I got into it. But through that, he was very, very abusive, did not realize that he was my handler. He was raised, he, was ha he had a handler, he was raised to be a handler, and when he got married, that was his job, was to make a submissive, um, uh, productive, essential um, person for the work of the family, for that group if that makes sense. That that was his job. And I didn't know it, of course, so I, I, I think I'm just experiencing, um, you know, domestic violence. Uh, and I was so submissive to the violence that he then, they would then set me up um, to, like they would drop me off at a, a place um, up in Northern Alabama they would go, they would drop me off with these group of people, and I would have to literally physically fight my way out. And I had gotten to the point where, um, you know, to me it was survival. His programming of me was so severe, just him, was so, when I say severe, I mean outrageous. Like, put that... It, when I would get placed into the middle of this group of people and I had to fight my way out, I would fight my way out in a supernatural type of way and come out without a scratch on me. And there's 10 people around me that are completely destroyed. Um, it didn't matter what I had to do, you know, and I, I black out. I, I wouldn't even remember it. I, I just know the nickname that I had in that group of people was the beast. And I can remember going in and out of these situations and the breaths that I would take. Uh, now that I'm thinking about it, it's coming to me. The breaths that I would take in the midst of fighting this group of people were, I felt like an animal. It was like, like, uh, you know, I and I would get that breath and then I would go back in. I wasn't going to die. But because of the violence that I endured in the home, I knew what it was like to be brought to the brink of death with through violence. And I would just turn into somebody else. I would, I would physically and spiritually, supernaturally turn into a demonic monster. And at the time, of course, I didn't realize that. I think I'm just surviving. But I also didn't understand what they were creating me to be. I didn't understand it, you know. So some of that was programmed into you early, early on. You know, oh, absolutely. How did that absolutely. happen? Um, so uh, my biological mother was um, oh, through extreme uh, abuse, satanic ritual abuse as a child. Um, down to being sodomized and raped and um, left in closets and um, dr being drowned and then being brought back to life. I can remember that like it was yesterday. Um, being held under the water until I started fading out and then being brought back up, doing it over and over and over and over again. Um, uh, so that's 
so many different things. I can remember the beta programming when I was about three, four, five years old. And in those areas, I can be remembered that I would be taken to counseling um, and uh, be set in front of computers. And at this time, uh, back in those days, these computers were like in these big boxes, like in a, in a kid's desk. And we had those little kindergarten plastic chairs they would sit us in front of, and it would it would flash black and white pictures for hour after hour after hour after hour after hour after hour. Um, and I can remember looking at my brother, who was a year and a half older than me, like looking over at him and watching him just drool. But his he would be his eyes would be just stuck open. He'd be leaned onto the this his face this close to the little computer, but he'd be drooling. He'd be somewhere somewhere else, and it was just black black and white, black and white, black and white, black and white, and going through all these aptitude tests um, for hour upon hour upon hour upon hour um, of them picking our brains apart and um, things of that nature. And that happened simultaneously to uh, being adopted. So we went through the satanic ritual abuse and the physical and sexual and uh, abuse and neglect and all of that. And then in the process of the state of California uh, and being adopted, getting us and being adopted, that's when they did the beta programming and the alpha programming with my brother and I. And um, So you were adopted by a Christian family? Absolutely, yes. How did they continue to access you and program you? Um, my parents actually put a stop to it after a while because they realized, well, I'll, I'll tell you how. Um, some of the ways that they continued to access me was through the offered um, counseling through the state. Mm -hmm. um, that was one way that they would access us. And my mom, would, she was given our files, you know, of the accounts of the different things that would happen to us. And then also she told me I was just an open book. I told her all the things, um, all the things. Because, you know, when they got us, they, they saw the cigarette burn scars. Um, the upside down cross carved in my face, um, right on my bone line, right here by my, you know, below my ear, and and I was just, I was just, I told her everything. There, there's a lot of stuff I told her that um, wasn't in the file, you know, that I would tell her about. But the the abuse was obvious; it was completely obvious. But that's how they continued to access us was really through the, well, we're offering this to you for this purpose to help you guys out in the process of this, this, and this. And so that's how they were able to do the beta and alpha programming to us because, you know, when we would go back to the biological family or be with him, well, this is what you guys need to do for this period of time, you know, to help them out, you know, from the abuse that they incurred. And it was just beta programming and stuff. So, um, and then the access of the other family to us, um, the, not necessarily my mom, but other parts of the other family members um, that would want to see us and stuff like that. And it got to the point when I was a little bit older, eight, nine years old, that my mom said, that's enough. That's, that's enough. You guys can't have access to them anymore. And um, uh, But then my brother being in the house with me, my half-brother got adopted with me. Um, a lot of that continued on behind closed doors between him, him and myself. Um, uh, so we even had a secret language, uh, you know, um, that we would talk to each other. We didn't have to talk. We could just, we could just communicate. Stuff, didn't you? What? 
I said, you put your adoptive family through a little bit of stuff, huh? So much stuff, (laughs) so much stuff. I I definitely tested. uh... They had no clue about the stuff you're talking about now. No, no, they did not. They did through my brother. Um, My brother didn't hide when he, because my older brother, he got involved with all the things. Um, But I ran away. I didn't call myself packing a bag like Huckleberry Finn and actually like running away. But I went to go get some treatment after I was diagnosed with PTSD at 15. I went to Texas to get some treatment for that um, at a really great place and decided to stay uh, away. Um, I didn't want to go back home. I, I... I was just so lost. And so then I just stayed in the South. So yeah, I I didn't physically like run away in the middle of the night or something, but I ran from home. And, um, and then that was like 17 years old. And then by the time I was 19 is when I met my ex-husband, the one that I married into that family. But by that time I had been accessed by people that my brother sent after me to look out after me. I had already been, um, accessed by so many different people and I didn't of course I didn't realize it you know when you look back on it you realize that you were shuffled to a certain place with certain people when you when I look back at my life I'm like wow that was so well planned out (laughs) like how how did that happen and now though um you realize that that was God's plan all along was for you to be did he did he intend for me to get here that way I'm sure he did not but this is where I was supposed to be the whole entire time um, now that I know what my call is, you know? So it was all in God's plan anyway. Um, but so that's how, go ahead. We could talk, I think, for hours and hours and hours about that whole part of your life and, and a lot of um, interesting stuff um, made for a movie. But I know the part that's most important to you and, and uh, is how God brought light into the darkness and, and there were, there was, you thought you were work, walking in the light, but you were yeah. in darkness because that's what deception is all about. But then you came to, to the Lord. Tell us that part. Okay. Um, there was actually two moments in time that I can, um, talk about. Um, and I thought because I went back into that world in 2014, 15, that I had, turn my back on the Lord, but I realized that he had been setting me free this whole entire time from what I went through as a child, that God had been chasing me all of this time and steadily setting me free from this the whole entire time. And when I realized that a couple of years ago, I was able to like really forgive myself and give myself grace. But in 2012, uh, my, my ex-husband had been keeping my kids from me. And so I had been doing you know, favors for these different groups. And, um, you know, I was asked, well, what do you want? You want a car? You want a house? You want this? You want that? Nope. I just want my kids. And that's what I would say. I I would make that statement. I just want my kids. So no, let's keep the favors. I'm going to, I'll, when I, when I, I'm ready, I'll let you know what I want. And in my mind, I was going to have to take him out, him and his family to get my kids back. And that's basically how he put it to oh, me. Meaning not kill, for kill. <laughs> No, like, like kill his family, him yeah. and his family. That's what they were about. And that's basically uh, black and white how he told me it was going to have to be. This is the only way you'll ever get your kids. They belong to me. And um, I said, okay, so at the 
end of 2012, almost the beginning of 2013, um, I had one of the most powerful people that I had ever met come to me and say, uh, do you want me to take Steve and his family out? It was that simple. And I knew that I had, I had, I had the power. I knew at that point I had, I had done everything that was expected of me. I let them use my brain. My aptitude is something that they go for. The ability to function in and out of your disassociated selves. Um, I was the keeper of all secrets. I knew, so I, I could reach out. And when I tell you guys, I could reach out, make a phone call and touch somebody in Germany. I could. I didn't realize the power that I possessed until that moment. And this person was there to serve me. And I had said those words so many times, all I want is my kids. But to, to get them and not have any uh, um, retaliation, then the line would have to be taken out. And in that world, that's how it goes. Because then whatever power, money, power, businesses, whatever they had occurred over however many years they had been involved in that world would then become mine and my children's. That's the way that it works in that world. Okay. So, um, and I remember sitting back and I didn't say anything. I didn't say anything. God had actually begun sp speaking to me again very loudly. And into the begin so the beginning of 2013 came, and I remember hitting my knees and saying, God, I do not know right from wrong anymore. I don't know right from wrong. And uh, I said, I, I asked him, I said, if doing this thing will send me to hell, my soul to hell, and my kids go to heaven, stop me. Please stop me because I don't, I don't know what to do. And I meant that. Like, if I don't want us to be separated ever, but to me in my mind was still telling me the closest I could ever be to my children would be in eternity. And if that's going to separate us from me having that eternal life with them, then God, you're going to have to stop me because this is about to happen. I'm about to make this decision. And I don't know any better anymore. Like I knew, I knew that that's what I would have to do. Like in my mind, that's what my mind told me. That's what that world told me. But I had to make sure with my God in heaven and my creator that this is what he would have me to do. Mm -hmm. And a whirlwind of things started happening. And he stopped me. So that was that time. And then in um, 2015 with the girls. That was the other time because from that moment when I got off of my knees in that road, I, I sent out a warning to everybody that was there. And there were so many different affiliates there at that time, affiliated with so many different things right there. And these were my people. I was affiliated with, with all of this, you know, and I'm not talking about just, yes, in the streets, yes, in the streets, but I'm talking about these, these people's family members are FBI agents. This isn't just nobody's. You know what I mean? We were the mafia children of that age group, you know? And um, I said, I'm sending out a warning and let everybody know. Every single person that's been involved with this, I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm doing it. I'm sending out a call to arms. And I did. I sent out a call to arms to every place that I touched in, in, in um, the United States. I had people come in from Georgia, 
New Jersey, Virginia, Oklahoma, Texas, Mississippi, I mean, you name it, California. And I had, I'm talking, hotels filled up with people coming in. We were going after Haitians, African Americans, Czechoslovakians. Um, we were going after people in the bayou, the railways, the Alabama port. We were, I, I had found, I had so much information brought to me in that one year period of time. I had, I had been shown where there was um, underground uh, tunnels from Vermont to Arizona to bring them into Mississippi from, from up different, down different pipelines into the bayou here in the Bayou Bayou Labatry where they have another port where they do um, export and import. Um, I've been, it was just unbelievable. The information that I had been brought. But from your, your, your heart was to fight human trafficking, but. Absolutely. (laughs) And that's what it, that's, that, that was my goal. And then the people that I found out, like I was, being sent, I was going to all these different areas. I was going down to Battery. I was going down to the port. I was going down, you know, to this person and that person, this person uh, attached to this judge, this, this attorney, blah, blah, blah. I mean, every which way. And I'm, if you're involved, you're going to be taken out. You're going to be killed. I'm just, I'm going to let you know, either give me the information that I'm looking for, or this will be your last day. And that people were, I'm talking about, it was, when I say flooding in, I would, I would come home and have box to one of my places that I lived at and I would have boxes, address books of black people who sell babies on the black market. I mean, it was, I, I, I had maps, books highlighted. I mean, it was, I, I wouldn't even know where this stuff was coming from. I, I have no idea. I couldn't tell you. Um, and I was, I was brought all of this. And within that one year period of time, I said, okay, the day before God saved, saved me for this last time, um, I was going in. I had found out about some girls that were being kept at a place in Mobile in dog kennels. Found out that they had like a six-year-old, a 12-year-old, a 30-some-year-old. And uh, this was a person that I would go, I would see the person that had them, I would see on a daily basis. And I was like, okay, we're going to start at home, right? You're supposed to dust at your own front door first, right? And that what the word of God says? Isn't that what it says? <laughs> okay. And um, I had gotten in, I had gotten some people from Germany. I had gotten all of the high-tech equipment that I needed. I had gotten my crew together. And this was on a s- Sunday. I was going, supposed to be going that Monday evening up to Jackson, Alabama to gather um, some of the high-tech, high-tech, uh, um, like the night vision, but this is, we're, we're t- I mean, like special forces, like military grade stuff um, that was waiting on me. And um, that Monday morning, about six o'clock in the morning, I'm, I'm driving down um, 65, I-65, and I, I told God, I said, I'm giving a shout out to the creator of the universe. And um, I just want to let you know that I believe in you, um, but I don't trust you and I don't know why. And bye, I love you. Uh, I said, I don't trust you, and I don't know why. I said, but what I am doing is I am counting on you to do what you said you were going to do. I'm counting on you to finish what you started in me. I'm counting on you to save me from myself. And um, I'm expecting you to. 
And one of the last things that I said to him was, please don't let me go so far that what you have me to do, you have to give to somebody else because I've taken too long. And I said, God, I'm asking you today for divine intervention and divine appointments. And six hours later, I was sitting in Mobile Docket on a charge I didn't do. And I'm like, what's going on here? You know? And the Holy Spirit spoke to me when I'm sitting in the little room with glass and said, remember what you asked for. And I knew from that moment on, God was setting me free and I would never go back. He was going to do. He was not going to do. He was in the process of doing everything that he said that he would. And the last thing that I said to him in that docket room was, well, God, please show me that you're the one who's actually in control and organizes everything or I'll never be okay. My mind will never be okay. And um, when I went in there, because now, mind you, I was supposed to be heading up to Jackson to get pick up the gear and come back down to execute the plan. The call to arms I sent out and had teams assimilated waiting for the word to go forth to attack. <laughs> okay. And um, I'm in jail. So that, that day, that morning did not come. Tuesday morning never came for me. And while I was in there, I cried out to God. I said, what about those girls? What do I do? What, what about those girls in those cages that I know are sitting there right now? You know, what are you going to do about that? And it was amazing to me how I, I signed, I did some legal things uh, legally in the jail for my parents to have um, so I could talk to my parents without them being able to use the information against me in court. So I had some legal documents drawn up, and I went and signed and so that I could talk to my mom and dad on a recorded line and they couldn't call my parents to court to testify against me type of thing. And I told them about the girls and I'm like, I don't know what to do. And I just prayed. I said, God, you know where they're at and you can do something about it, so do it. And it wasn't long. It was about, in about a week, I started watching the news. I started noticing the news and they were finding girls everywhere, everywhere, all over Mississippi, over different places. All these places I was told about that I was going to. <laughs> Amazing. I mean, finding them in barrels, like the, the trash barrels, you know, because they were going to be shipped. They were finding them. I was going after them. I was coming, like, and God was, boop, somebody ran into this and this fell over and, it, and there was a kid. You know what I mean? Like, amazing. It was amazing to me how God was showing me, I got, I got this. And uh, about a week later, a girl came in. So I'd been in, I'd been in jail for a couple of months and a girl came in, and I heard my name being said. Yeah, we were waiting. This this girl, Brooke, was supposed to be coming to get us. She was supposed to be, but God sent blah, 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 blah. And I was able to get the little girl out, and she ran, and la, 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 la. And it was all because of Brooke. Still to this day, she doesn't know that it was me. But I'm, I'm listening. I'm listening to her talk about this miraculous thing that happened and then how she was able to, before she left she was able to get these other girls out of those cages and get them set free and I'm like God you really are the one who's in control of everything you really are the one who organizes everything like you really are like you never needed me but I had this God mentality that they had built up in me you know and um I'm glad that <clears throat> God did that for me because he didn't have to and I, I would have become very dark. I don't know if I would have made it back. Um, the things that I saw in that year, people without souls, you know, um, 
because in that time that I was running for my life because they knew what I was doing. So I had Haitians coming after me. I had Czechs. I had all kinds of people. And I would come up against these people, and they would have no eyes. They were, they were, you know, they were literally people who had seared consciences, you know. And I was just, it is amazing to me the way that God showed me um, that he... I think all he needed to do was have somebody verbally present these things to him so that he could then put it into action. But he saved me from myself just like I asked him to do. And in that, you know, I, I could have gotten out. I didn't. I had a $50 bond. I said, no, God brought me here to keep me safe and to set me free. I'm not leaving. And that sounds crazy to some people. And it's a horrible facility. Horrible. But I knew what he had brought me there to do. And I didn't leave until I knew it was time for me to go, until he had released me to go, and here I sit. So did you go from there to the women's center that you yes. contacted us from? Yes. And so, then I was there, what, a year and a half, well, a year and a couple of months, and that's when I found you guys. And, and that's the reason. Huh? You're, you're kind of going after God. You're in a Christian women's program. Mm -hmm. What was that like? It was a horrible experience for me, but I allowed God to use it. Um, very religious. It was, um, I have the ability to take criticism well. Um, and so on every turn, it was, you're doing this. It was what led me to Google my symptoms was, um, they were saying, you know, I'm intimidating. I'm, I'm uh, wounding people. I'm like, what are y'all talking about? I didn't understand what they were talking about. But they, and I asked God one day, I said, why is what's in my heart not matching my face? You know, because it can't be 50,000 people saying the same thing and it be them and not me. You know what I'm saying? So do something like, like show me what's going on. You know, I mean, I'm just being honest. Like if, if 15 people tell you the same thing, it's not you. I mean, it's not them, it's you. You know, and but I, 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 I realize now a lot of it was uh, intimidation of the Holy Ghost and not intimidation of the actual person that I was and that I didn't know it then. I realize it now that um, I even had one of the counselors tell me there, your knowledge of the Bible intimidates me. And this, this woman been serving the Lord 50 years, you know, and I, and I just listened to what she said and got up and kind of just walked away, not understanding that that was the reason why they were, uh, ripping me apart, which is essentially what they were doing, but they ripped me apart so much. And everything that they said, I took to the Lord, everything. And this was on a, a twice a week, twice a week. I'm being, and I'm an employer at this. I'm, I'm being employed by them at this time. Um, but I still had my counseling and stuff like that. And I would take it to the Lord. I'm like, okay, I'm going to take it to God. I'm going to let him fix it. Fix me, God. They said, I'm this. They said, I'm doing this. They said, I, I don't talk right. I don't look right. I'm not walking right. The way that I walk is wrong. The way that I talk is wrong. Um, and I would take it to the Lord and I, I would tell him, do something about this. You know, do something. I don't want to be this person. I don't want to be intimidating. But everything that they were saying about me was at some point in my life true. So I guess that's why I took it. You know what I mean? And um, so it got had gotten so bad and so severe. Their abuse towards me had gotten so bad and so severe that the beginning of that summer, 
um, that I started Googling my symptoms, and that's how I pulled up um, the broken soul, you know, because I told God, I said, because they, they were taking me through, like, discipleships of, like, what is water baptism? I'm like, I knew that when I was six years old. I was raised Church of Christ. I know, I know all the foundational truths of the Word of God, you know. I said, I need something. Deep. I, this, this isn't working for me. I got to go deeper. And so that's when I, you know, Googled my symptoms and it said disassociation disorder. But the first link was the broken soul um, article that you guys have out. And I read it and I said, that is me. That is it. This is what I've been looking for. This is exactly what it is. That was God. Because our SEO is not good enough to be number one for, for, <laughs> for anything or anything. Yeah. yeah. It, but it was. How often we hear that, though, the way people find us. And we intentionally have not super easy because when we put satanic ritual abuse a page about that we were inundated and at the end of the week i said andrew pull it off our website we, we can't field all these calls and we're dealing with so many extreme cases that that lord let the lord help them find us so so god connects us and yes. tell me a little bit about that and so I prayed about it for a couple of months, you know, just wanting to make sure, Well, I, which I was going through a lot at this facility. I was going through so much with these people um, that I had actually gotten to the point. This is before we had our first session because I found you guys like in April, but I didn't reach out to you for a couple months. And I think we had our first session that August. But that July, I actually became suicidal and never, I remember having a thought outside of myself, if you guys know what I'm talking about. So I'm dealing with thoughts of killing myself. And I had a thought outside of myself, it's probably my spirit, man, said, I have never in my life, the pain of missing my children, I have never in my life wanted to kill myself. This is not me. Mm. But I said, I, I remember calling my dad and saying, if this, if everything that I'd been there at that point a year, I said, if everything that these people can, and it was the same things all the time, I said, a saying um, is true. I don't deserve to live. I don't. And um, because they were telling me that I was, if, if, if a person, I'll give you an example of something that happened one time. So one of the clients had um, broken a huge rule, like not even like a little one, but like a huge one. And so I, I took her out of being one of my helpers in the kitchen. Like, you can't be in here and do that. I'm sorry, but you can't work in here anymore. And this huge, like, oh, you wounded her. She'll never recover from that. What, from being held responsible? <laughs> you know? But they had broken me down so much that I thought everything that I did was wounding somebody or hurting them, right? But I had been an abuser. Mm -hmm. I had been a victimizer. So it fit the bill. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I was aware. I'm like, all I did was hold her responsible, and she can't be in here doing this to other people. So I removed her and I'm, and I'm in the, my room just crying and crying, crying, thinking, what have I done to this girl? Oh my God. You know what I'm saying? Like just, just ripping myself apart. And I'm like, I, I don't deserve to live. And I called and I reached out to my dad and my dad said, okay, that's enough. That is enough. I've had enough. I'm getting on a red eye flight, red eye flight. I'm coming out there and somebody's going to explain why they've been, because he, he said, they've been abusing you and I've let it go because I thought God was doing a great work in you, but this is enough. And, um, that's when I realized that it was enough, you know, but in that, but in that, I remember a couple of weeks later, somebody said something else again. One of the, one of the staff members there said something again, 
and I gathered them all around. I said, let me explain something to y'all. A year ago, this worked, but not today. So it's none of those things you're saying about me is true. This is who I am. Now, if you can't accept who I am, that's on you. It has nothing to do with me. And that's, I said, I should have realized this a year ago, but the shoe doesn't fit anymore. This, the, who you're talking about is not who I am. So it did, it solidified my identity in Christ, my identity as a human being. My humanity had been given back to me and I wasn't going to allow them to take it from me ever again, you know? And then I started my sessions with y'all. And I think I needed to be able to get to that point where I was confident enough in myself to be able to take on my own healing amidst, um, um, I had, I, I had to get to that point before I think I would have been able to allow God to do what he did in me through the vessel of y'all, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, I, I had to get to a point where I was secure enough in who God said, and in my God, for one, who he is, to know who I am, to be able to let him, then, me then take it into the next level of deliverance without keeping on going backwards. And you know what I'm saying? You, when you reached out to us, you were wondering who in the world you could trust because you grew up, everybody was corrupt. And you yeah. were. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. Because we had like when, um, not my mom and dad, not 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 my mom and dad, they were, they're legit. You know, they were the same people behind closed doors as they were out in public. But, you know, I only, I left home from them when I was 17. But it was, you know, I know, not now, but there was just a church right down the road where, you know, um, they, the preacher, the pastor, you know, is is running stuff to Houston during the week. Guns, drugs, cars, people, you know, and that was just the norm. I know so much about stuff like that, that like, you're like, well, who, who police, you know, the, the, the state, county, whatever you want to call it, you know, the civic leaders are, are corrupt. And so who do you trust? If you can't trust the postman, you know, that delivers your mail because he might be there to take your family out. Who can you trust? You know, you can't trust police officers. You can't trust the DAs. You can't trust the attorney. You can't trust the prosecutors. You can't trust the judges. Who can you trust? You can't trust the pastor in the church. Who can you trust? So, so how, yeah. How did God connect us to where you? I, I prayed. I think, I don't remember if I told you this or not, but I, I said a prayer um, before our very first session and I, I asked God about the shalom peace, uh, peace of God, and um, that he would show me through his shalom peace that this is uh, the people that I was supposed to be connecting with. And your prayer before we got started was that he would show me his shalom peace. And there it was. Word that shalom. was, And you didn't know. That, well, I said shalom, shalom. I said the words, show me that this is through your shalom peace. And you prayed that over the, the session and for me that through this, I would, I would receive the shalom peace of God. And I was like, well, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you know, listeners, that is not Richard Mull. That's the Holy spirit. Absolutely. Because Obviously. A lot of times in my opening prayer, all of a sudden I see a word or something. Right. And there, was, there was somebody recently and I was like, God, I'm not saying that word. Yeah. It is a dirty word. I don't think it's ever crossed my lips. I know what it means, but I, I wouldn't use it. And it's degrading of women. And I was like, no. And the Lord kept showing me that word. And I was like, oh, so I tell her, I'm like, 
I usually don't try to preface, but I was like, I'm going to say something and it's a word I would never use. And, um, and, and, and I give this kind of extended preface, you know, and then I said, I said, this is the word that I hear. And somebody called you that. And she just leaves it. That's crying. And I was like, right. Hey, what's up? That's yeah. what my mom called me my whole life. Yeah. And like, no way. Her mom was a programmer, you know, and, and was programming her to be, you know, something that she's now getting free from. But yeah, right. it was hard to imagine a mom ever saying something like that. I couldn't say it. And uh, yeah. so, um, yeah, what was Broken Soul Ministry like for you? Um, liberating. It was um, the next level for me um, of being made whole because, see, the Lord had made me a promise a long time ago. I mean, I don't even remember how long ago it was um, that he was going to make me whole and that I would walk in that wholeness. And I mean, like, whole mind, spirit, soul, body, Jesus Christ, the way he walked on this earth, whole. Um, on this earth, that I would walk in that. And um, so that is what I have searched after that promise since then. That's what, I, and I don't, expect, and I, my expectation is that as he was on this earth, so am I. I expect that. I expect to do these things and more. That was my expectation because when he told me he was going to make me whole, I mean, you guys, this was 20 years ago when he told me that. And um, so when I started on the journey, the, you know, really consciously start on the journey seven years ago, that's what I've been searching for was that to be made whole, you know? And so when I, I think, what was that one session? I had like 39 parts put back together and I, I named them all. You remember yep. that one? Yep. Um, they were all well parts. And I want to, I want to take a second in just a minute and kind of give people a, because there are people going to hear this and going, what is broken soul and all that. Um, yeah. And, I, and I, what I thought is I want to define it, you know, succinctly, but I'd also love your perspective on what it is. Cause we're going to, we're coming at it from two different angles. Right. So why, don't, why don't we do that real quick? Because um, so Jesus from, you know, when he stood up in the temple and declared who he was, he, he was quoting from Isaiah that the spirit of the sovereign, um, he's anointed me to preach good news, to bind up the brokenhearted. I began to study because I was going, is there a biblical foundation for what we now, we now call it broken heart or broken soul. Now broken heart, the reason we changed, we kept it broken soul. There's a lot of scriptures that talk about a broken heart and the broken hearted. Um, it's because in, in my mind, broken heart is what happens when you're a teenager and you like, you know, Susie, and then she, this is you, you know, and they call it puppy love, you know, blah, blah, blah. Right. But, or whatever is in people's minds. And so sometimes you have to pick a word that is not common, you know, to define. So broken soul, broken heart is, is it when trauma occurs in childhood and you aren't capable of processing that mm -hmm. it is like a piece of you breaks off and will carry that memory. will carry the trauma so that the next day you can go to school. You are as a little girl going through unimaginable stuff. What I call it and what I called it when I wrote, um, Restoring Joy is X-rated horror. That was your childhood X-rated horror movie. Yeah, you had exactly. to and be a be a cute little kid at school and and do what you need to do. How can you do that? Well, it's because cool. of this fragmenting and the and the occult world. 
understands it and is intentional about fragmenting people. And you even talked about it in your journey. Yes. But then later on, they knew, they probably already knew the reason you were compared to your husband is because you were already fragmented. Mm. And, and, uh, and, and so they could take advantage of that and continue that. That's part of the programming process. But what Christ came to do is put all those broken pieces back together. Back together. Lord, with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. So I'm even thinking about you in that uh, women's home. You are coming to Christ. You are pursuing Christ. But there's parts of you that are still committed to darkness. Well, yeah, because, I mean, there's this this one particular counselor who just loved to rip me apart. And um, I remember I killed a snake, like a literal, like, snake. <laughs> Y'all listen to this. They had called me up there about a snake being in the hallway. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to kill it. Like, I don't know why you guys think I'm not scared of snakes. I'm terrified of them. But I'll get this shovel over here and I'll chop its head off because I'm not going to get bit by a snake. So... I go, I, I, you know, it doesn't matter if it's the size of a worm or if it's 10 feet long. I'm deathly afraid of them. But I, I happened to throw the little thing at it just right, chopped its head off. And I'm like, now y'all move it because I'm not touching this body. <laughs> so yeah. so the ne- this is this is just, just an example. So the next day, because um, I'm going to get into the parts of me that were committed to darkness. So the next day, I get brought down to my counselor's office. Now, remember at this time, I'm now on staff there as well, right? <laughs> And um, with this other counselor, I get down to my, and they were like, and she says, I, I need to talk to you about um, what happened. The incident is the word she used that happened last night. And I said, okay. She was like, well, my client who is a humanitarian is very upset and is traumatized over what you did to that poor little snake last night. I looked at my counselor and I said, is this, is this really happening right now? Mm-hmm. And she goes, she goes, puts her hands up, doesn't it just was like this. And she's like, and uh, the things that you do, the way that you wound these women around here is just got to stop. I said, are we talking about the snake? I said, is that what we're talking about right now? And she said, yes, what you did deeply disturbed her and, and, and her care for animals. I said, well, I'll tell you what. I said, am I in trouble? And she said, oh, that's not up to me. Um, And this is one of the ones that brought me down like a weekly basis, found found something wrong with everything that I did and how I had wounded this lady over killing this snake. I said, well, I'm going to tell you right now. I'm going to tell you ahead of time. I said, I'm going to let you know right now that if I ever come across a snake again, I'm going to kill that one too. And she, I'm horrified by your response to me. I said, well, I don't know what you were expecting. I said, but I'm sorry that she was actually one of the ones that was screeching, kill the snake. Um, That is now in your office talking about how traumatized she is by me killing the snake when she was one of the loudest ones crying to kill the snake last night when I killed it. Um, I said, so I'm sorry that traumatized her. And now, you know, she can't eat and all those good things that's going on right now. I said, but I'm just going to let you know ahead of time. The next time I come across a snake, I'm going to do the same thing. So a week later, this is this is just an example of the stuff that they put me through. You, I, you wounded her, and just this is all you do. You just wound people all the time. You traumatize them. Everybody that come you come in contact with over me killing the snake. So the next week, she has me pulled back in her office again, and she's talking to me about something. 
about another girl, something I'd said, and I blacked out, I zoned out, and in the process of zoning out, I jumped on her like a spider monkey. And from behind, I had taken something, I don't remember if it was a letter opener that I saw on her desk. You know, this is what I envisioned in my mind. I got it behind her and I slit her throat open. In doing that, I felt the skin tear. I heard it tear and I felt the warm blood dripping out of her neck. And I stood over her as I could feel the, the blood going down my arm. And I get down and I walk back over to my seat and I sit down and I come back into reality of her talking to me. And I went, <sighs> she looked at me and she said, you good? I said, I am now. <laughs> I am now. And I'm just, I'm just being honest with you because the hurt that this woman had caused me in this year that this time that this point is probably about 13 or 14 months the way that she had ripped me apart over every i'm just you know and the words that she was speaking over she was just tearing me apart you guys when i say this happened with me on a weekly basis that i was wounding all of these had gotten to that point where once i killed her in my mind i had this relief and then i could handle listening to her again because when her voice hit my ears, it was like a siren at this high pitched siren had went off in my system. And I, my body was, I, I had, I had to break off so we and, call do, and do that before I actually physically harm this lady. We call that triggering. And for most people, triggering means they start to get a headache or they start screaming and they're saying things and they're going, why am I doing, why am I saying this to my husband? I don't mean to treat him this way or my kids or something like that. And they, and they, they feel like they name it different things. They switch, whatever, whatever right, right. to sometimes they're aware and they remember what they said or did. And sometimes they come to, and they're in a different town and they're dressed in clothes they wouldn't normally wear and they're going depending on on the extreme so so you, but you're describing for, for you it was it wasn't even something you did but you checked out and in your mind gave permission to a part of you to do well, what there was a, a repentance i had to go through for killing her because god says if you hate a person in your heart you, you've already you know that that you understand where i'm coming from i had to do that so i wouldn't physically do it to her yeah. That's and that's just being honest. That's just being 100% honest and I had to realize that there was a part of me that of that part of me that was still there that was capable of doing these things. And in that that's what I'm saying everything that they did to me God used to set me free. Without that realization, without that pressure being applied of this person hurting me, I would not have known that I still had the capability to do that. But in in when I she said I said I am now I, I actually did that to that woman. Yeah. I may have only done it in another self in my mind, but I did it. The, yeah. I, I, I literally went through the experience, the whole entire experience of that. And I, I knew that that was still a part of who, you know, I mean, come on, you guys, that's demonic. Yeah. Let's just be for real. Let's call, <laughs> let's call it for what it is. You know what I mean? Can I... Can I share my perspective on what, like, I, we do ministry all the time, and I love yeah. doing what we do. Um, sometimes it's it's and it's pretty deep and heavy. But there was one session I, I mentioned it to you before we got started. 
that when I look back, I'm going, I was just one of the most profound, amazing ministry sessions where we connected with a broken part of you um, called a queen. Um, if I remember correctly, her name was Joan of Arc. Mm -hmm. Right. I know that was two different parts. Joan of Arc came, Joan of Arc came up as well. Okay. In that session. You mind if I recount what I remember? Sure. And then I'd, I'd love your take on it. So, sure. um, but, but, uh, so we were in here and we, we were, we had a conference going on and there were some mm -hmm. things that were said that I had watched you react to in that conference. And you were going, no one's supposed to talk about these things. And I knew you were pretty highly triggered. You're walking around. Someone's going to die here. Someone, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, not the person I'm used to seeing. And then we had a, a appointment in here. Uh -huh came in and there was something from the very get-go that it's it's interesting because during this interview there was a one or two times where you like operate in authority and you were describing something and you and and the persona shifts a little and you're like let me tell you well it, it was even grander than that it was like in, in this part introduced herself like i'm a queen and I'm in terms of surrender and i've been planning this like it seems like since you were like three years old or something like that or, or if i remember correctly this day i knew this day would come and and i'm surrendering but i have terms of surrender and i'm thinking who's going to come to god with terms like this will be interesting and and we're kind of like just allowing this part to go and, and talk and, and listen but it, but it felt like and you you even said something along the lines like like this is this is a queen surrendering to a king or or like this is a th this is what you do in war okay when you surrender and i'm like yeah okay i've seen something like that and <laughs> we're like following and we start talking about your different like your occult abilities and stuff like that you talked about gauntlets and you talked about talked maybe about the black book um and i think there was a headpiece and maybe the all seeing i don't remember but you're like laying all these different things down and uh but 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 i've got terms to kind of throw that out there every now and then there's some i'm going to ask for as i lay all this down and it's you know it cost me a lot to get here and um and i'm like okay what is she going to ask for and everything shifted in that moment and it was so incredible i remember like you tearing up and you go i want to be able to love I want to feel love and be able to love others. I want that. I, I want joy. I can see others have joy, but I don't know what joy is. And and you listed these things, and I'm like, dang, everything you are asking for is what God promises and, and is ready to deliver. And you're like, it isn't a part of that world, and I want it. And uh, And there was this divine exchange that happened in that room that day. Yeah, I, I, I think one of the, uh, the most important things that I needed was compassion. Mm. Um, because the lack of compassion is it's a hard place to live because it is, um, it is not easy. You cannot function in your humanity without it. You felt like you almost lost your humanity. 
Oh, absolutely. Because you and I, I do believe that there is a certain way that God created me to be because of the call that I have in my life. Like the way that I look at church, church is three things. It's a hospital, then it becomes a family, and then it becomes an army. And as long as you have a church, you're always going to function inside of those three things, okay? Mm -hmm. When you come in, for some people it's going to be a hospital, but you need to move into it becoming your family. And once you learn how it to become your fam family, then you need to be inducted into the army of the Lord, mm -hmm. right? That's my opinion. That's how I see church. Go. Uh, so that's a good word that'll preach yeah and you know some people will just come in when they need a fix and they'll leave and come back six weeks later something's wrong and they'll they'll treat church like it's their dope dealer you know and they need it but that's that's just the way that church, that's how i see things and i know that i am my my call is to equip okay so there's parts of me um that people have to be ready to accept their induction into the army and i've learned through trial and error that i need to stay in my lane <laughs> because i'm gonna hold you accountable and god god is going to use that a am i um uh, so am i all of those things but like i i can be the counselor i can be the family member i can i can sit by somebody's hospital bed i can do all of those things but when it comes into what i am supposed to function in in I'm supposed to equip people for the army. That's 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 my call. Mm -hmm. And so there's parts of me that I have tried to fast away, pray away, do all of those things, you know. But God's like, no, this is how I created you to be. You're gonna pop a chalk line that you're you have walked, and you know, because when you're in the army, people have to walk chalk lines. I mean, that's the way that it is. You have to have strict obedience. You have to listen to the voice. You have to put it into action, and all of those things. And so, um, but you still cannot function in that without compassion. And that is one thing that I majorly did not have because in that world, it was you dot your I's, you cross your T's, or you die. And really, it is like that for us on this end. You will, you will experience spiritual death whether you realize it or recognize it or not. And so those two worlds do cross over, but you can't have compassion. You have to stick with, you can't have compassion in that world because if you do, that is a weakness. Um, because it really will cost you your, your life. You can't have compassion because if somebody's going to be held responsible and if you don't hold that person responsible, well, then it's going to be you. And who's going to die today? Well, it's not going to be me. Yeah. You know, and that's what it comes down to, survival of the fittest, basically. And so um, I wanted the ability to be able to feel the compassion. I wanted to be able to know what it feels like to look at somebody and feel for them without feeling sorry for them hmm. if that makes sense and because the, those two things can be so toxic but there's a difference between feeling sorry for somebody and feeling compassion and I needed to know the difference I, I needed that I needed that to be given back to me whatever I lost from the beginning because I have never had compassion. I, 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 I can remember telling people when I was little, I don't feel sorry for them. I know what it's like to be hungry. I know what it's like to be abused. So why are we sitting here talking about it? Why is this an excuse? I never made excuses for the things that I did. My, I mean, you can tell all this wrong stuff that I, even in the court system, even with my, when I got indicted, 
you know, um, I no bars held. Yeah, I did it. And I was willing to pay the consequences for it. You know, like it, 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 it I, yes, this was me. I did it, you know, do what you got to do. Um, because you, you don't, but the compact compassion is something that I don't think I had ever experienced in my life. Knew what that felt like, you know, and to be able to have compassion for myself, to look, be able to look at myself and say, mm, mm-mm-mm. that's crazy. You know, um, it's something that I'm really enjoying. Tell us what has changed in your life since um, just a lot of these broken parts that were a mixture. There was there was that party that loved God and was chasing after him. There was other parts that that, you know, were full of terror, rage, anger, the beast, um, you know, other parts. And, and God's making your heart whole. What how has that changed your life? Um, it's been progressive, to be honest with you, because um, it's been little by little that I have um, noticed the great exchange that has actually happened because of, that is what I did. I surrendered all of that to the Lord, you know, and um, there has I, I don't even know how to put it into words the way that my life has changed. Um, but it, um, gosh, how, how can I even explain it? Um, Describe your life now. What, what, what does your life look like now? Okay. So my life looks like now I'm married. Um, married, are you beaten on a regular basis? No, no. I have a great husband who loves the Lord. He's an evangelist and, um, to the, his DNA. I mean, we can't go anywhere. He's telling everybody about Jesus. Um, and my life is full of from him and to communicate with him and all yes. that. Yes. I'm able to be myself. Um, and, the, and in that relationship, God, great. He put me with the soldier because <laughs> well, he's a, he's a soldier. Um, it, it took that though for, because, um, he saw greatness in me. He used to pray for me actually. Um, I've known him for about 10 years now, but he used to pray for me when he would see me, he would pray over me that God would, you know, save me and stuff. So, uh, he sowed some seeds and he got me as a wife, but he, yeah, he's a soldier. I, I was very, very hard. And he'll tell you now, like she has softened up so much. I'll, actually get my feelings hurt and cry and talk about it you know and that is that is huge because you don't show signs of weakness in that world at all um i'll i'm able to admit when my feelings are hurt which for some people that might be normal but for me that's not you know i um care about very small things very i allow myself to to care about small things in a major way I've realized that God even cares about the itty bitty details of things. And so if he cares about the itty bitty details, then I can too. And those small details can mean a whole lot to me. I think the greatest thing through my marriage that God has gotten me to understand is um, my marriage wasn't even about me learning to trust man, which is what I thought that it was. I thought it was about me learning how to trust another human being. And he showed me back September of this last year. It was never about you trusting him. It was about you trusting me because I don't look for the shoe to fall out. Now, today, I don't look for the shoe to fall out like him. Like I, he and I were driving down the road, y'all. This is so funny to me. Driving down the road and we were about to get married. 
and I, I got, I said, pull over right now. Pull, pull, pull over, pull over. I have, I said, we have to have a grown up conversation right now. This is serious. I was dead serious too. Turn the music off. I said, look at me in my eyes and tell me that you weren't sent by somebody. What you mean? I said, don't play with me. You know what I'm talking about. Did somebody plant you in my life? Now tell me, I said, I'll know if you're lying to me. I have been taught how to um, pick up lies. And I said, you know, I mean, I went through all this stuff that I've been taught how to do. And I said, I'll know if you're telling me the truth or not. So I was serious, (laughs) y'all. I was dead serious three years ago. And he was like, no, I've not been planted in your life. Okay, I'll marry you. Because I knew he wasn't lying. (laughs) (laughs) But it's just that serious, though, you know, that's that's the life that I lived. And so um, uh-huh. I remember asking you one time, so you're married now, and it was uh-huh. early. And I said, I said, you know, has he triggered you yet? And you told a story about, because um, he's loud and, and he's big and uh-huh. trying to intimidate, he can come across that way. Yes. You, remember, you remember that? Oh, talking about when I pulled the knife on him? <laughs> it happens all the time. <laughs> yeah, that time, yeah. Because so I went up to him, and I, you know, he's like I said, he he's he's a huge teddy bear, but it's I think it's just his tone, and he's this big burly guy, and you know, he was getting loud, but he was playing, but I didn't know him that well, and we had just you know gotten married, and um, I, I'm walking around, and I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, you know, it's a terrible thing sometimes when there's a bunch of you in there to talk to yourself. So I'm thinking to all myself, and I'm like, oh, okay, so he thinks he's going to intimidate me. He doesn't know who he's messing with. So I went in, and I got <laughs> – this is probably after a couple of hours. I got this butcher knife, and I went, and I, I tapped him on his leg. I said, let me tell you something. You fight, I kill. We're two totally different people. Don't play <laughs> – I can make one phone call right now and have you, and nobody will ever know what happened to you. Don't try me. <laughs> and, y'all, but listen, this is – it's funny now. It wasn't funny then. So, like, later on that night, I'm like, I wake up, and he's not in the bed with me. And I'm like, where is this – where'd he go? And I go, he's not in the living room. And I go to one of the other bedrooms and he does floors. He had blocked himself in the bedroom with a carpet kicker that you kick the carpet. And I go to try, I go to try to open the door. He goes, ah, uh, ah, uh, go, go and get, go, go and get, you know? And I, cause I had freaked him out. <laughs> cause I, he's like, I know you. And the next day he said, I know you meant when you said, he said, but I don't know what I did to make you feel that way, but whatever I did, I'm so sorry. But I meant it. I was like, I tapped him with that butcher knife. I said, look here, don't play with me. <laughs> and he had block, barricaded himself in the other bedroom. Once I fell asleep. Oh, my asleep. That's so yeah. <laughs> he waited till I went to sleep and then snuck off into the other <laughs> bedroom. So yeah. So he's been a soldier. He's been a soldier through it all, but he's, He's seeing, he's reaping the benefit of, of sticking with me. So that's awesome. Yeah. Cause I'm now, now I'm just a trip. You know what I'm saying? I'm always cutting up. I'm fun, fun, loving. I've even gotten to the point where I've started letting people come hang out at my house, which for some people that may not be a big deal. Like you guys, you host people all the time, but, um, I was so protective of my family, of myself, of my children, of, of you know, things and now it's gotten to the point where I just don't even think about it. I don't even think I don't even care. So what if you're sent? If that means that if if they're sending you in for whatever reason, well guess what? My anointing when you walk through that door is going to set you free. So welcome. Welcome to my humble abode. But you know what I'm saying? Because you're not going to walk through that door and not get set free. And I've had continually had people tell me all the time. I had a girl come over here and clean my house 
um, a couple weeks ago. She called me and she said, I don't know what just happened to me, but the power of God fell on me and I was able to do this and this and this and this and this. She didn't even get done cleaning my house. I was like, you're okay, girl, go home and set your family free now. And so it's here, you know, we carry the anointing, we leave it in the house. And so I'm realizing that's the thing. When you do an exchange like that, you don't see, you don't recognize, you don't understand what all the different aspects of the spirit of God that are living on the inside of you, the influence that they actually do have, the power that they actually do have, because you don't know, you don't recognize it. And so then that power isn't, isn't used correctly. It is then, you know, it can be exploited or trafficked or whatever, you know, cause they traffic our souls. And so now that I wrap my mind, I have wrapped my mind around the spirit that's living on the inside of me and that, and the Lord told me, this is another thing that he gives me these great revelations. And then he turns them into wisdom was he told me a while ago, about a year ago, he said, you're praying amiss. And I'm like, well, how can I do that? I'm praying the word of God. And he showed me, he said, you keep on asking for what you already have. And what he meant by that is I was, you know, asking about, you know, the, the different parts of the spirit, you know, developing on the inside of me. He said, I, and he showed me, you know, I gave you my fullness. You don't have to keep on asking for that. You don't have, you're asking for something that's, it doesn't miss, right? You already have all of those fruits. You already have access to my fullness in the area of patience and kindness and, and long suffering and blah, 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 blah. Stop asking for the things and start walking in them. Like Colossians says in the message, school's out. Now go do what you've been taught. You know, school's out. You've got the fullness of the Lord. Now, if you need this, then you just ask that part of me to rise up in you and walk in that. And so that's what I'm doing. I'm like, okay, I need some self-control, Holy Spirit. Come do what you got to do. And it it comes up and I walk in that thing. And and um, it's it's an amazing thing when you, you have this heightened awareness of what is actually on the inside of you. And without laying down those things and asking God for that exchange of his spirit, um, that's what he gave me. He enlightened the eyes of my understanding. That's what happened. I've had the spirit my whole life. But all of those things that I laid down that day blinded me to the understanding. I had the knowledge. I, at 11 years old, I knew the Bible backwards and forwards. There's nothing I couldn't tell you. you could, we do Bible trivia. My dad how do you even know who that person is? I'm like, how do you not know who that is? You know, um, because I literally, you know, would, I, I, and I didn't realize that, you know, I just had, I had, I had, I was gifted by God, you know, to know these things. So the Bible, you can't give me the knowledge. Knowledge is great, you know, but I, he enlightened the eyes of my understanding. He has enlightened me to that. I actually have the fullness. He has enlightened me through that women's facility that I was in what he did was he tore down false humility and pride off of me because, you know, false humility is, is, um, oh, I'm just, oh, sinner saved by grace. I'm so, I'm not worthy. I'm not those things, you know, and I'm actually, no, I'm, it says I'm a saint. So is that who I am? And so through all of that, and then the exchange of the fullness and the, and, and the enlightening of my understanding, in this last year, I have chosen and dedicated myself to living out who I am unapologetically. I will not apologize for holding the office of a prophet. I will not apologize that I'm seated in heavenly places with Jesus Christ on the mercy seat. I will not apologize that I don't talk about the enemy. 
I won't do it. I will not apologize that when I see an attack come, when an attack is coming, I will hold myself accountable and say, I have dominion. Now, what hold, what what part do you have in me that this oppression is coming? Uh, and, and God, what are you up to? I will not apologize for the fact that I understand that I walk in his fullness and that I am anointed to set the captives free, to heal the brokenhearted. And I walk in that. I'm not going to apologize for that anymore. And for so long, I have made excuses for who he is in me, and I'm not going to do that anymore. And that's the exchange that he gave me was to enlighten my eyes to understand that, to be able to be the end time warriors, to be able to be the remnant, to be without wrinkle or blemish, that I have to understand that Jesus Christ, the anointed one, lives on the inside of me, and I've got to make room for him to be able to execute his plan on this earth through me and with all these hangups about what I'm not or what I could be or what I should have been or where I should be going or what I, all of those things is pride and it's false humility. True humility is being everything that he was and then doing greater things than he did. Mm. And I can't do that in a false identity. I cannot do that without all of those things that the spirit, the fullness of the spirit on the inside of me. And that's what he's enlightened my eyes to understand. So you were asking for compassion. Yeah. And the Greek word for compassion, do you know what it is? Probably, but tell me again. Dunamis. Do you know what it's Dunamis. translated? Resurrection power. Power. Yep. And and so th there there are times where you, where it says and power came out of Jesus, but but they would translate it and compassion came out of him. And one translation says compassion, another one says power because it's both. So what power in the kingdom of darkness was devoid of compassion? Um, but power in the kingdom of God is. That's right. And so you weren't asking for a power. You were asking, and which is interesting because I thought, is she going to ask for more power? Is she going to, but you were, you were asking for compassion, which was, that would have been looked down on in you know, having compassion on someone was a weakness, correct? Absolutely. That's, you, you cannot function. And that's the thing is like, how, how deep do you really want to go? Um, how, how, how much can, can people really handle? Because they think that a lot of times people, as long as you don't talk about demonic powers, then that makes them not real or something like that. You know what I mean? But all of those things, pride is a demon, you mm. know, and you have to have demonic power. Compassion, which is of the Holy Spirit, gets in your way of your demonic power. You can't do that. It's all about power. Everything that you hear of politics is about power. Money is about power. It's, it's okay. Yeah, it's demonic power. And you can't, the spirit of God gets in the way of being able to operate in that power, in the demonic power. You can't be full of the Holy Spirit and watch somebody die. But it's a greater power. Oh, God, yes. Yes, it's not. It is. Um, you talked about it when, when we were recording you before. You talked something um, about walking in dominion and authority. Yes. And I was sitting there going. I have heard very few people speak on that where I felt like it was revelation. Like it's something I teach on and it's I all through the word of God, but I, I seldom go, this person really is got a revelation. 
and I was like, I, I was there thinking, I wish I was taking notes. And I don't even remember exactly what was being said back then. I, 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 I wanted to listen to it again, but I was going. Well, and that's what God's been working in on me these last couple of years, um, being prophetic. You know, not everybody's prophetic, but the way that God uses me, he, I, I released something out into the atmosphere. In 2022, the Lord told me that this was the dawning of a new era and that it was dominion. We were, we were to walk in our true dominion. And from that time that I, I had that great exchange, I realized, you know, we can't walk in true dominion if we, we don't identify um, correctly with the Lord. And, um, and he keeps on taking me back to, you know, how the first Adam walked in the garden with him and he just walked with him and he talked with him. And it makes me think of that song. And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. Well, um, that's really how it was. There was no veil. There was no, there's you over way over there and there's me over here, you know, um, and Jesus tore that veil when he accomplished what he accomplished on the cross and got, you know, raised from the dead. And so dominion is actually um, that place in the spirit where your spirit and his spirit are one continuously. You know, I understand what pray without ceasing means because from the time I wake up all the way through the night, even when I'm asleep, my spirit is awake. I, I, I consciously will wake up and expecting God to tell me something, talk to me about something. Jesus likes me and I like him. We're friends. He talks to me face to face. He does not hide himself from me. But I had to go through tearing down all the things that I'm not or everything that the religious system says that, you know, um, you know, you cry, cry out to God, you know, and, and tell him how unworthy. Like I, there was a post the other day they were having this church service and this person posted, um, if, if you want to be broken, then come. And I thought to myself, there's no way I'm going to go to a church service so I can be broken. I come to be made whole. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was like, oh, uh, I'm not going to go be made broken, you know? Um, so it's, and, and I'm, I'm saying that in context because I, I know the person, they're very, very religious, but I, I thought to myself, well, that's not a very good invitation. I don't think Jesus ever said, come to me and I'll break you down. No, I don't want to be broken down. He said, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, you know? And I, I'm realizing that you cannot walk this thing out. The revelation of dominion is that just that. Um, I, I even, I even at, told my church, I said, I'm, I'm giving you guys, I want to give you guys a challenge. Um, I, for 63 days, I don't want to hear anybody talk about the enemy. I said, all I ever hear is people come in here and talk about, oh, the enemy, I'm under attack, I'm this, I'm that. I'm like, is it the enemy or is it you? Is it you? Is it, is it, is it that you know, he's giving you dreams of using drugs again or is it because for the last 30 years of your life, your brain back here where you have a, a filing cabinet, every single time you went through something, good or bad, stressful or excitement, anxiety, whatever it was, that filing cabinet says, oh, I used to pop a pill. So is it an attack from the enemy or is it your brain saying, okay, you're going through something and you have anxiety. So, oh, let's take this out. Let's go pop a pill. You know, we have to learn that dominion, dominion is saying, okay, well, the word says that Jesus defeated the enemy. It's under his feet, right? And if I'm seated at the right hand of the father in the mercy seat with Jesus, that means the enemy's under my feet. But the word clearly states that my mind is an enmity with God. It's my mind. 
that is at war with God. Jesus walked into the garden, uh, gatherings, and they said, what are, you, what are you doing here? I'm paraphrasing Jesus. You have, we have nothing in you. We have absolutely no dominion in you. What are you doing here? They had nothing. They had no entry point into his soul. They had no access to his body. They could not access him. They could not torment him. They could have no power over him. And as he was, so are we. So if it's my mind that's at war with God, then I'm going to close down the access point and I'm going to look at God and I'm going to say, God, what are you up to? Because I'm noticing that because these things are happening, you're revealing to me that I'm getting, I'm about to catch a healing through your power or I'm about to be delivered. I don't care what the enemy's up to. I don't care about any of those things. I'm going to look to God and I'm going to say, God, what are you up to? Do I feel demonic forces coming my way? Can I, can I feel an attack physically coming? I sure can. And in those moments, I look to God and I say, God, what are you up to? Show me. Because I'm on the offense. I'm never on the defense. If I'm fighting from victory, I'm not fighting for victory, then I'm on the offense. And it really does, regardless, I don't care what the enemy's up to. God, what are you up to? challenging people to look at it from a perspective you're in heavenly places stop worrying about what the enemy's up to who cares who cares you're not that big of a threat you're not that big of a threat to the kingdom of darkness you know what i'm saying you're your own threat your mind is at war with what god says your mind is at war with having dominion your mind is at war with the healing in your body your mind is at war against what god says in the bible about this situation or about that situation or about that situation Jesus defeated the enemy. That's what he showed me about dominion. That's why I hold myself accountable. I Yes, yes, are there are attacks real? Sure, there's principalities and powers and all of those things, but he defeated those things and he gave us access to every single answer that there could possibly be. So if my mind's at war with God, then I'm going to go to God for the answer. I'm not going to look at the enemy and see what he's trying to do. Just kill, steal, and destroy. It's that simple. Will you pray over everyone who's listening that prayer? what you just kind of talked about will you pray that over everyone who's listening yes absolutely so father god jesus holy spirit i come to you right now i ask that you release your revelation down on every single person that's listening right here right now i ask that you give them the revelation of what dominion actually is that is their mind at war with you god that they don't have to be worried about the enemy the enemy is under their feet but what they need to do is to look to you, look to the heavens, keep their eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of their faith that has shamed the enemy and look to you for what is going on in their lives to access what they need, their healing, their truth, their, their, everything that they need is actually in you. I declare and I decree in this moment that there's a dawning of a new era, that God is bringing us back to the garden that he intended it to be, and that we would have open communion, our spirit to his spirit, continually on a continual basis. And I ask that you enlighten the eyes of every single person that's listening right now to what your will is for their particular life. And I know what it is, that they would live in constant communion with you, that they would fight from victory and not for victory, that you would give them an understanding, a revelation, and wisdom about their true identity and how to access that through having dominion by holding themselves accountable, holding themselves accountable for their thoughts, recognizing that it's their mind that's at war with you, God, and saying, self, get it together. Applying the word, not just listening to it, but actually applying it, Lord. And I ask that you give every person the understanding right now that they can hold themselves accountable for what is wrong in their life and stop looking to the enemy for answers, but to turn their eyes to you for the actual answers of what's going on in their lives, God. That they put blinders on to the enemy, 
blind them, close their eyes to what the enemy is up to, God. I ask that every single religious spirit that has these people tied up right now be cast down into the pit of hell. I'm putting you on notice. Every single person that's listening right now is a blood-bought, born-again Christian. I stake a claim in it for the kingdom of heaven. I close their, close their ears down to the spirit of religion and the spirit of Antichrist right now in Jesus' name. I seal this prayer and this word in the blood of Jesus. I release resurrection dunamis power into every tomb that's been erected into every single one of these persons' souls right now to bring the death to life. I thank you, God, that you give these people the remnant understanding without wrinkle, without blemish, to be unapologetic in who you called them to be, God, but for them to recognize when they like being where they're at so that then they can consciously make a change of it. We thank you for that right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you for that prayer. As always, like, comment, and share this podcast. Let us know if you'd like us to have Brooke come back on because we probably talked about 1% of her story and there's lots more that we could talk about. So if you guys enjoyed this, please let us know. and let, let us know you'd like to see her back on. All right, you guys, everyone, be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen.